This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Bick, and this year on Pashat HaShavua. This week's Pashat is Pashat Miketz. Miketz is the heart of the stories of Yosef. It won't come as a surprise to anybody, and not a particularly original thought on my part, if I point out that the most central element of the Yosef stories are dreams. Uh, last week's parasha in Parashat Vayeshev, Yosef's life story, Ela Taldot Yosef, begin with his dream in two dreams. Uh, at the end of last week's parasha, um, which will eventually get Yosef out of jail, are the two dreams of the two fellow inmates. Yosef shares space in the Egyptian prison. And of course, in this week's parasha, the two dreams of Paro, which Yosef will interpret successfully, which will be the springboard for him achieving the position of power in Egypt, which is the uh, central uh, element which allows the story to continue when he will deal with his brothers in the rest of the Pasha and eventually bring his brothers and uh, Yaakov to uh, Egypt and, and give them a place to live. Sometimes we think that, you know, dreams are a traditional element and people... Uh, you know, these traditional Jews or ancient Jews probably paid a lot of attention to dreams. There's a whole section in the Gemara Brachas about the interpretation of dreams. Uh, dreams don't play that important a part in the Torah. Yosef is the first person to have dreams, and he has a majority of the dreams in the entire Tanakh. Now, there are times when Hashem comes to somebody in a dream. Dreams, dreams are one of the aspects, but then it says explicitly, it's not that you had a dream and therefore you go to an interpreter. Uh, occasionally, uh, God doesn't speak to somebody directly, but b'chalom. Uh, it's one of the methods of God's. But the dream then is God speaking to you. Uh, we're talking here about having a dream. You dream about yourself, or about cows, or about something else. And if it disturbs you, you run to a professional, uh, and he tells you what the dream means. Despite the fact that the whole, most human cultures have this institution, uh, it doesn't actually play a role in the Torah or in Tanakh outside of the story of Yosef. Yosef is the original dreamer, he's the majority dreamer, and clearly he's the person for whom dreams are the most, are the most important. Um, not that this is a, a perfect proof, but nonetheless indicative, let us remember that in last week's parasha, when Yosef approaches his brothers while searching for them in Shechem, they call him Baal HaChalomot. It's not a perfect proof because the brothers are calling him Baal HaChalomot. The Torah is not calling him the master of dreams. And they're saying it probably cynically, uh, not admiringly, um, and it's on the basis of the particular tension that exists between Yosef and his dreams and the brothers. But nonetheless, the expression, I, sorry, but I still think it's a proof. Uh, Yosef's name, nickname, is Baal HaChalomot, the master, the master of the dreams. And I'd like to try to understand why that's significant. After all, the story could take place without it. Uh, perhaps the first dreams in last week's parasha are also, not, it doesn't have to take place as a dream. Yosef could have simply 
pointed out a few times that he has ambitions which would uh, roil the waters between him and the brothers and annoy them. And um, in any event, getting out of jail, Joseph didn't get out of jail because he, not directly, because he interpreted the dreams. And Paro's dreams, which are described, that happened. If you think that the stories are in the Torah because that's the way it happened, it tells it. So, okay, but, but it, it says the Torah is basing this story on the dream. If God merely wanted to get Yosef out of jail, there were other ways to do it. The Sarha Mashkiv could simply say to Paro, there's a very smart fellow in jail. If you have a, some sort of a problem, any sort of a problem, bring him for advice, he'd be very impressive. As, for instance, takes place in Potiphar's house, where Yosef impresses Potiphar because he's very good, and he appoints him in the same position. He appoints him to be master of his household, just as Paro appoints Yosef to be master of his household. That's a bigger household. But it's the same exact, exact thing takes place. Yosef is an impressive young man. It could have somehow taken place with Paro. The Torah makes a point, and God makes a point, in, in divine providence, of constructing Yosef's life story around his dreams. And that's very, very significant. It's, it's, it's the... It's not just an aspect, it's the defining aspect of Yosef's, of Yosef's life, of Yosef's career. So what are the importance of dreams here? I think, I think the answer is, to repeat, to repeat the summation, Yosef is, by definition, the master of dreams. Not a master of dreams, but the master of dreams. That's his role. That's his defining characteristic. Mean. So I would like to suggest the following. Uh, most biblical characters, specifically the forefathers, the Avot. Last week I, I presented a theory in this forum that the Avot found the people of Israel. Then there were the people. In the intermediary stage called the Shvatim, Children of Yaakov, who are already Beit Yaakov, they're the proto-Jewish people, but they're also individuals, and they're stories of individual stories. So we're being presented with models which aren't foundational models. It's not that Amisel can't exist without this, but there are different ways to express the Judaism that was founded and created by the three forefathers and the four foremothers. Yeah, so last week we talked about Yosef as someone who combines other cultures and brings lessons back from other cultures into Judaism. And today I think Yosef, uh, or today I want to talk about a different role, different role of Yosef. The forefathers, or actually almost all biblical characters, but definitely the forefathers, are anshe ma'aseh. They're people of action. There is a technical reason for this. That if you can tell a story, it almost always will be about the actions. Uh, but also because uh, that's what they were. They, they did certain things. Now Yitzchak is a partial exception. I have to point this out, I have to be honest. Yitzchak doesn't do much in terms of the stories. Pashat Todot is the entire story of Yitzchak's life. Uh, it says in the beginning that he does things. He digs wells. And even though it's only one pasuk, I think that's really the answer to the question what he does. He digs wells. He digs again the wells of Abraham. And he digs new wells. He's doing something which isn't dramatic, doesn't involve other characters. He has a bit of an interaction with Avimelech. But basically, Yitzhak spends his whole life, as far as we know, and the way Chazal interpret him, in learning Torah, Isha Alim, 
he sits up by himself, sort of detached from the world. So Yitzhak is a presentation of a character who is detached to a certain measure from involvement in the mundane parts of this world, but that's also an action. What we know about Yitzhak is not his thoughts. or We, we know about Yitzhak is what he does. So he doesn't do a lot of dramatic things. But he spends his life doing. And he's, that, that's, that's how he founds Avisal. I think the point about Yosef is that the important things about Yosef are internal and not external. The Baal HaChalomot is somebody who is very much attuned, consciously attuned. Everybody has a rich internal life. But Yosef's activity is to be attuned to his inner self. And that's the um, parallelism or the continuum between Yosef dreaming and Yosef interpreting dreams. I'm arguing it's the same faculty. It's the same phenomenon. Yosef has dreams. That was in the beginning of last week's Pasha, the beginning of Ayeshev. In the end of Ayeshev, in our Pasha, he interprets other people's dreams. But I think we're talking about the same faculty. And this is indicated by the parallelism the Torah creates. In, both, in all three cases, you have two dreams. The interpretation of the dreams is important. Yosef dreams the first dreams, and everybody knows the interpretation, or they think they do. Yaakov says it. The interpretation of Yosef's dreams are that he will rule and the family will serve him, or will bow down to him, or will have allegiance to him. And then there are two dreams of not one person, but two people. But there are also two parallel dreams. They're very similar. And then, and then uh, Paro has two dreams. And they turn to Yosef, or Yosef volunteers, to be the interpreter of the dreams. The Torah draws, before we get to the, what Yosef does, the Torah draws a parallelism between all six dreams. There are sets of two, which repeat themselves, indicative of something in the future. Now you all point out that uh, the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ofim, the two servants of Paro, their dreams aren't exactly Paro. And the way we know that is because Yosef interprets them differently. That, that proves my point. The fact is they are parallel. And the, one of the points that we derive from that is how sharp Yosef is at interpretation because this is myself. I, I'm willing to interpret dreams. Uh, why not? I'm an amateur. I'm not on Yosef's level. I would have interpreted the Sar Ofim's dream and the dream of the Sar Mashkim in the same way. The dreams are very clearly parallel. If they're two separate individuals, their dreams shouldn't be so at all. Well, why not dream whatever you, whatever you want? But they're both dreaming about three, and they're connected to their jobs, and there's certain symbolism. This one has a cup, this one has a, uh, the bread, because one is Mashkim and one is Ofim. He's, he's the Paro's cupbearer, he's Paro's master of, of baking. But the dreams are very similar. And an amateur like myself would have interpreted him exactly the same way and probably would have said what Yosef said to Paro. He would have said to them that, you know, uh, I would have said, you know, and you brought the same dream that just shows you how true it is. The fact that the dream was repeated to Paro twice, Yosef says to Paro, is to show that it's a true dream from God and God is hurrying to fulfill it. Uh, Yosef pointed out that God wasn't hurrying to fill it. It says three, and it'll be in three days. One dream is interpreted in three days, and two dreams stays in three days. But Yosef was sharp enough to interpret the dreams differently. So that's an exception 
to the rule of parallel dreams, but it's an exception which proves the point. They are parallel dreams. And Yosef points out that since they're not 100% parallel, he's going to interpret them differently, dramatically differently, contradictory, uh, opposites. One will, his head will be raised and one will be killed. Notice that the, uh, it's a bit, of a bit of a joke, I think, on Yosef's part. Maybe not a very nice joke. Um, the Yosef, when he interprets the dream of the Samashkim, the Sava Ofim, he makes a point of interpreting them the same way with a subtle difference. Um, when he gives the good interpretation, the optimistic interpretation to the Samashkim, he says, In three days, Paro will raise your head and give you back your job. Then when he interprets the Saha Ofem's dream, he says, ah, that's a crazy dream. In three days, Paro will raise your head off of you and hang you on a tree. He uses the same expression, Yisa et Roshcha. Yisa et Roshcha could mean to raise you up. Laset et Roshcha is to appoint you to a high position. And literally, which is the interpretation he offers to the Saha Ofem, Paro will raise your head off your shoulders. So it means both to kill and to, and to appoint to a high position. And the word Yisa et Roshcha does not derive from the dream itself. There is no Nisiat Rosh, raising one's head. That's Yosef's choice of words. Uh, and, and he chooses to interpret both dreams in the same words with a small but very important subtle difference between Yisa et Roshcha and Yisa et Roshcha Alecha. I imagine that the Sawafim didn't didn't chuckle at that rather clever uh, uh, turn of phrase that Yosef uses. Maybe the Salah Mashkim thought it was a good line, uh, but 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 the, the Yosef's interpretation emphasizes the parallelism and also emphasizes the fact that he's good enough to notice where the parallelism breaks down or where the parallelism still exists and it means two different things. The same, the same expression, the same inter- it's the same interpretation with two very different, different outcomes. Um, so I think the Torah is making a point that dreams, dreaming is Yosef. But interpreting dreams, I argue, and having the dreams are two sides of the same coin. And the, 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 the reason is because the human attribute here is being attuned, being in, in connection, listening to inner reality. People who don't dream, or more importantly, people who don't remember the dreams, remember that the fact that Yosef dreamed, dreamt is probably, is probably not unusual. He's the only one that the Torah describes as doing that up to this point. But we're told by scientists and psychologists and investigators that everybody dreams. Most of us don't remember our dreams. Yosef gets up in the morning and describes his dreams exactly as he had them. He's in touch with his inner subconscious self and therefore he's also able to be in touch to understand the inner subconscious self of his two fellow inmates and in this week's Pasha of Pavel. I think it's the same trait. 
And that's the defining trait that interests us. The fact that Yosef dreams doesn't help any of us. Either we do or we don't. But what the Torah here is describing a certain kind of psychological, spiritual actor. Having dreams is not a foundational quality of Amisa. The actions that the Avot took created Amisa. Avram in his aspect, Yitzhak in his, and Yaakov in his. But, in terms of describing individuals who are Jews, who are part of Beit Yaakov, so the Torah presents us in Yosef, someone who is, is going to be an unusual actor for the simple reason that he's not really acting very much. It's not an action that's easy to describe and, or easy to remember. And when we sum up someone's life, we don't notice those qualities if they even exist. He notices them. But that's what the Torah wants to tell us about Yosef. And as an example us, to us as well, Yosef is the personality who much more importantly than what he does or how he reacts uh, to things is his understanding of himself, of his listening and looking into himself, the introspection. Yosef is very good and very much attuned and very much involved in a form of introspection. Now you'll say to me, the whole thesis is wrong. Yosef does a lot of things. I think it's not true. Yosef doesn't do anything. Yosef has an important action in Egyptian history. One, it doesn't interest me that much. It's true. Yosef uh, is a great Egyptian politician. He revolutionizes Egyptian society and Egyptian politics by turning it into an autocratic feudal state. And as the Torah says explicitly in, next week's parasha, in, in this week's parasha, he, uh, um, he delivers the Egyptian people into slavery of, uh, of Pharaoh. So that's true. Yosef was a good politician, but that one, it doesn't interest me because it's Egyptian politics. He doesn't do that in Judaism. And two, uh, the Torah describes it, but I don't think the Torah gets excited about it. It's Mephoshim uh, asks, why are we even told that story? And they give different answers. It has to do with maybe the attitude of the Egyptians to Israel later on. I think it's a very subtle and interesting point that since Yosef enslaved the Egyptians, that might have had a reason, that might be an, have an effect on the Egyptian willingness later on to enslave the Jews, uh, Yosef's people. Um, but in any event, it's not, part of, it's not part of Jewish history. What did Yosef do in Jewish history? Okay, so he provided a home for Yaakov and his children when they had to, leave, had to leave Egypt. Okay, that's important. Eventually, be very important, not because of what Yosef does. The slavery in Egypt is very important. That's a crucial part of Jewish history. The intermediate, uh, happy couple of years they spent there is not important. It could have, we, we could have rushed it more. They could have gone to Egypt and been enslaved. That's the point. You should know that your children will be slaves in a foreign land. Uh, and two, how did Yosef do that? He did it because he was an Egyptian official. Basically, the story is describing, it's true, Yosef did it, but the story is describing Egyptian hospitality, Pharaoh's hospitality. If Yosef hadn't done it, God could have gotten Pharaoh to do it. So Pharaoh didn't do it, Yosef arranged it. It's true. There was protection. There was protection. We had, we, had, uh, we had connections. And Yosef uses connections to provide Eretz Goshen, to provide a land for the Jews to live in for a while before they'd be enslaved by, the, by that power or the next power. What does Yosef do in Jewish history? Why is his figure important to the Jews? That question was so important that, that we started making up answers. 
based on nevuot that appear later on in Nevi'im, Nevi'im Achvonim, mostly. Yosef's future importance as Mashiach ben Yosef. Yosef is somehow connected to the future redemption of Israel. Yosef will set the fire. He will lead the fight against Esau. And Chazal developed this and later on in Medrich Sheh HaGaonim, whole stories about this. But in the Torah, Yosef as an individual, he's a foil for Yehuda. Yehuda does things. Yehuda leads the Jews. He saves uh, Binyamin. He, he, he confronts Yosef. He organizes the other Achim to be a, cohes- uh, a, a, a cohesive unit. Next week's parasha, very, very important to understand. Yosef is just there so that the other Achim can interact with him. I don't think Yosef is an actor in terms of actions. Not that he doesn't do anything. On the contrary, he may not be, he may not be like Yitzhak. Not that he lives in a, uh, in a cocoon. He lives in the real world. But his actions aren't that important. His actions are not models for us to follow. Other than the fact, Chazal pointed out, that he, when he talks, he says, Baruch Hashem. He mentions God's name all the time. So I think is an indication of his inequality, not his actions. I think what Yosef is exemplifying for us is the ability, perhaps the necessity, the quality of not only living in the outside world and doing things and changing things, contributing institutions to the Jewish people. He's not the father of Malchut, that's Yehuda. He's not the father of, uh, of religiosity, of serving God, that's, I don't know, Levi and other brothers. It's not the model of Talmud Torah, which is also Yisachar and Levi. Um, he's Yosef. He's inward. He doesn't let the activities surrounding him tumult of the outside world to distract him from paying attention to himself. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a commonplace of Rabbi's drashat that Yosef is a dreamer and dreaming is very important but we you need to have ambition, which is true. You know, the first dream, last week's dreams of Yosef were the motivation for his ambition and, and it probably helped him get to where he had to go. And, but I think there's more here than just you know, an advice to us, you should be dreamers. Like high school graduation uh, speech. Be a dreamer like yourself. Be a dreamer like yourself in a different way. It's important to also cultivate this quality of not only being active in the outside world and therefore ignoring you in yourself. And Yosef exemplifies that much more. He's the only one who exemplifies it in terms of what we know among the, among the, among the Achim. Um, the Egyptian name that Yosef receives, Safnat Paneach, is also that. Uh, he who interprets that which is hidden. Notice the word hidden. It's not obvious that dreams are hidden. I mean, it's true. But Parok calls Yosef he who reveals hidden things. Safnat, that which is Safun, that which is hidden, Paneach, reveals. 
Yosef sees that which other people don't see and also, and then brings it out. He doesn't just only see. He doesn't live in his inner world. I think that's an important point that perhaps I didn't stress enough. Yosef is in tune into his internal world and therefore, everybody has a rich internal life. But because Yosef is, in, is able to tune into it, he's also able to reveal it. He can tell his dreams to others and he can, tell, he can, tell, he can interpret others' dreams to themselves. Um, I think later on in the Pasha, what is Yosef really doing with the brothers? So many commentators have said that Yosef is getting them to do tshuva. Okay, he's testing them to see whether or not they are committed to each other and to their brothers, eventually to him. Uh, and, and the important point is that Amisal has to be a unity and not a divisive, fatricidal uh, community. Uh, and, and Yosef is instrumental in that. But I think that what Yosef is really looking for, what he's testing, is the brother's inner commitment and not their actions. Because their actions they do in the beginning. They take care, they take care of Binyamin. Or let's say the end of this week's Pasha, when Yosef hasn't broken down yet, they're taking care of Binyamin. They've come back and they're saying, uh, we're not going to leave him. And they came back for Shimon. And, 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 and they're acting as a unity. Yosef has heard them say that they, uh, they're sorry that they didn't listen to Yosef when he was crying out. That's in the middle of this week's Pasha. But when does Yosef break down? He breaks down next week's Pasha when Yudah says, when Yehuda testifies to the inner connection of Yaakov and Binyamin, and when he sees, not just that they've done actions, but he sees the sincerity. He sees the sincerity of, uh, of Yudah. And he realizes that Yudah is about truth. He doesn't want that they should act correctly. He wants to see their repentance in the, in the, deepest, in the deepest sense. That's when it says, Next week's parasha, below Yuchal Yosef Litapek. Yosef can no longer, can no longer hold it in. Yudah says, Ki echa ele et How can I go back to my father without the, without my brother, lest I see the which will take place to my father? Yudah saying, I have an internal problem. I can't see it. I won't be able to bear emotionally my return to my father without Binyamin. Isn't enough for Yosef to see that the brothers are acting properly. He needs to see the emotions of Yudah and presumably the others as well. And that's when not only does he then is he satisfied but he himself is moved inwardly. I think it's important to point out that Yosef eventually breaks down not because of an intellectual decision on his part. But he's overwhelmed emotionally. Yosef can no longer restrain himself. And he breaks out in crying, which the Pasuk says in the next Pasuk. Uh, and a, cr- a loud cry. In other words, his internal emotions break out and the entire household of Paro hears it. Again, it's Safnat Pa'aneach. Whatever Yosef's feelings were beforehand, now they're not only on his sleeve, but then broadcast throughout the palace of Paro. And all of Egypt, of all of Paro's, that means all of Paro's household, all of the royal court, here's Yosef, uh, confess, uh, reunite with his, with his brothers. 
Yosef lives and dies and succeeds and breaks down because of his extreme sensitivity to the internal currents of the people he's facing. The dreams represent that, but I think, as I pointed out now, in the future, in the future it, it takes place in other levels and other more important levels, more important levels as, uh, as, as, as well. So Yosef is the ultimate dreamer, meaning, not as we use the phrase, I think, today in modern, in modern uh, literature, uh, the person who has a lot of ambition or, or desires. Yosef is the dreamer, meaning he has a rich dream life. And he knows it. He remembers it in the morning. And he presents it to others. He doesn't keep it to himself. Last week, that was a disaster. This week, he takes Paro's inner dream and presents it to Paro. He doesn't really tell Paro his dream. Paro remembered his own dream. But he explains it to Paro. He is the explicator of the confusing and dark inner world. He has a happier ending. It works out, works out better for him. The point is the same. We need somebody who will dip in to the internal world of himself and others, but not leave it there as a mystery. But take it out, put it on the table. What you do with it is your problem. The brothers didn't do good things, at least initially, with what your safe gave them. The two servants in Pyro's jail... One of them didn't have a chance to do much. The other one, whatever he was supposed to do, he didn't do. He could have done something with that. Not a direct result, but he could have done something with his dream which would have helped Yosef. He promised to do it, he didn't do it. Paro gets his explanations and accepts them. And it changes the course of Egyptian history, ultimately of Jewish, of Israeli history as well, history of Israel by providing the basis for Mitzrayim to be the place where the Jews will go. Those are three different reactions. What you do with what Yosef explains to you is your problem. But Yosef's job is to be the critical bridge, someone who can hear, understand, see, perceive, interpret, and explicate the hidden undercurrents of human existence, and then in some way explicate them in a manner which can now become motivational, instrumental in changing the, the real place in which we live. In the end, we live in the real world with real actions. But how much of our real actions are concrete results, instrumental results, perceived results, intended results of our inner world, and how much of it is, as psychologists would say, merely unconscious, unconscious reactions. Your sage's job is to take the internal and place it clearly on the table so that we can react to it, use it, develop it, follow through on it, and make that part of our avodat Hashem and, and, the life of the, and the life of the Jewish people in the future. Shabbat Shalom. Chol Tov.